Let's open up our Bibles to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. If you're visiting with us today, let me introduce myself. My name is Greg, and I serve here as the lead pastor, and it's my, been my privilege to preach to you through the book of Ephesians. We here at Fellowship Bible Church do verse-by-verse studies through books of the Bible, and we've been making our way through uh, the book of Ephesians, and we arrive this morning very near the end, and we're going to study verses 19 and 20. But before we do that, let's go ahead and read, and we're going to read uh, Ephesians 6, uh, 10 through 20, and then we'll pray and get going. Paul writes in Ephesians 6, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, And his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith uh, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And for me also, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of God, and I'm certain that he will add his blessing to the reading of it. Let's pray. Father, give us grace to know your mind, and I pray that you would help us to join in this prisoner prayer that Paul offers here. Fill us with a sense of boldness in our own interaction with people. But may we more immediately obey Paul's command to pray not only for ourselves and for all the saints as we're instructed to here, but to pray for people whose job it is to publicly proclaim the mystery of the gospel hidden for generations, but now revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We need your blessing for that endeavor. And there are men and women across the world who need our prayers. And I ask that we would be faithful in obeying this command. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was 1780 in the United States, the colonies, as it were, and the British were neck deep in the Revolutionary War. The main threat to the colonies wasn't the British soldiers as much as it was the lack of money that the colonies had. uh, finances were the biggest threat to American independence than anything else. And so it was, they sent 
John Adams to Europe to try to gather some cash for the American war effort. He went to France, but France was sort of dragging their feet. And so, when looking at the European landscape, John Adams, with the permission of his own government, went to Holland. He went to the city of Amsterdam. Amsterdam had, at the time, what was probably the greatest seaport in the world. There was a lot of correspondence between the Dutch people and the, American, the people living in the American colonies. And Adams went there with one purpose, and that was to secure a large loan of money for the American war effort. The trouble is, the British were not ignorant to his schemes. In fact, they knew where he was going before he got there, and so they sent ahead of him spies and agents to poison the minds of the Dutch government. They spread all sorts of lies and disinformation about what the colonies wanted to do. And soon after Adams arrived, he realized that there was a huge lack of information about what the colonies were trying to do and what their war intentions were, what their purposes were. And so in Adams' words, for one year, he set about to undeceive the Dutch people. As he said, that was my mission. I'm going to undeceive them. And he went about it with missionary zeal. At the end of a year, he did something audacious. He broke Dutch law and insisted that he get a hearing with the higher-ups in the Dutch government. It was without precedent. Before he called for the meeting, he sent a press release to all the news agencies so that the entire Dutch nation would know that he had broken their laws and insisted on an audience with the higher-ups in the government. It was risky. They could have just as easily deported him or imprisoned him. But by and by, the gambit worked. And at the end of 1782, he secured a huge sum of money that aided the American war effort. In fact, those who were observing the Revolutionary War said that that loan was the single most decisive event in the war's history. Pretty amazing, isn't it? John, John Adams, rather, took very seriously his commission to be an ambassador. And here, the Apostle Paul says that in much the same way, he too is an ambassador. He's an ambassador in chains, and his main job is to undeceive people who've been held down by spiritual authorities and rulers in dark places. There are people who choose to believe a lie instead of the truth. There are people who generationally have been taught error, and Paul is setting about to give them the truth, the truth of the mystery of the gospel, this thing that was hidden, but it's now revealed. And he goes about this with great zeal and great energy. And wouldn't you know it, it winds him up in prison. And now he's going to talk to the Ephesian people about how they can be praying for him. Just as a sense of review, so we can kind of gather our steam here, we noted, and we've been noting all along, that beginning in chapter 6, verse 10 forward, with that word finally, Paul has been preparing us 
for this final statement that we stand fast in God's power through prayer. Stand fast in God's power through prayer. And last time, after having covered the armor that he gives us to uh, proceed, he then begins to command us that we should be praying at all times and in the Spirit for all the saints. Now we covered, I think it was in verses 10 through 17, I think we took five, maybe six sermons to cover that material. And may I, and, and a few of you were like, man, five or six sermons, that, that's kind of a slow pace, Pastor Greg, working through this. May, may, I, may I share with you a little factoid I came across this week? How many of you have heard of the good doctor, David Martin Lloyd-Jones? He was a pastor in England around World War II. Anybody, have any of you heard of him? Okay, he preached a famous sermon series through the book of Ephesians. From Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, down through 20, which we're going to cover today, we took five, maybe six sermons. Guess in your mind how many sermons Martin Lloyd-Jones spent to get through the same material. And guess high. And then I'll tell you the number. Okay? He didn't spend 12 or 24, or 48 weeks, or 52 weeks, 67 sermons he preached from Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. I think that's pretty amazing, okay? And you, you guys are probably saying, Pastor, I'm glad you didn't do that, all right? So this will be kind of our last sermon in this section of Scripture. We're going to take one more to wrap up the book, and then we'll have one overarching sermon, one final sermon, to sort of put a bow on the rest of the book. But today, we're going to cover this prayer that Paul offers. He says, be praying for me, pray for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. We have three watchwords for today. If you want to write them down, they'll be our points. There are three words we're going to use as our three main points. You might want to jot them down. Boldness, facility, and resolve. Boldness, facility, and resolve. Those are the three things he's really asking for. Boldness, facility, and resolve. Let's cover that first one, boldness. Paul repeats here twice the request for boldness. He says that I may boldly, uh, that, that words may be given me in the opening of my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. He says uh, twice here that he wants uh, bold speech to typify, uh, that I may declare it boldly, that he wants bold speech to typify how he speaks. He uses it once in the noun form and once in the verb form. It's very clear that he wants boldness, courage. Some commentators think that what Paul was referring to was a kind of a case that was coming up. He had a court date. He's a prisoner, and he's going to be standing in front of the magistrate, and he needs to defend himself. In other words, they say Paul is asking prayer for a single event. I think that Paul has something more general in mind, that Paul would Every day, generally speaking, in every opportunity. The Roman government was much like our own. There were many opportunities to stand before magistrates and rulers. 
There were many opportunities to proclaim something for Christ. And I think Paul has that more broad uh, intent in mind. This word, boldly, is used pretty frequently in the New Testament. But it's usually used in a certain circumstance. I have some verses on the screen for you to write down if you would like, Acts 9.27 or 13.46, 14.3, and so forth. In each of these cases, the apostles stand in front of Jewish people and boldly proclaim the gospel, knowing that it will result in their persecution. In fact, in every one of the cases I've mentioned on the screen there, what comes is persecution and outrage from the Jewish authorities. This idea of boldness is freedom, a sort of uninhibited stream of message that doesn't worry about the consequences that might follow. You've got something you have to say, you have to get it off your chest, and it might come back at me. But the importance of the message overrides any of those concerns, and so I deliver it with great courage and boldness. And if I'm persecuted for declaring this message, I will rejoice and count myself worthy of having suffered for the Lord Jesus Christ. This was the apostles' perspective. This was the disciples' perspective. And I think this is the perspective that the Apostle Paul is saying here, please pray, please pray for me that I would not worry about the consequences of my words. Please pray for me that I will say what must be said the moment words are needed. Please pray for me I wouldn't hedge the truth any. Because I'm tempted at almost every moment to draw back just a little bit. Now Paul was brilliant. He was a man who could very easily choose words that could be taken in multiple different ways. We talk about politicians like that. We call it double talk. Very carefully studied habit. They say something that makes both parties happy. Equivocation. Paul could have easily done that. But that's not what he wants. He wants to be a straight shooter. He wants to teach the gospel like it must be taught, regardless of the outcome. Paul was in prison, just so we remember, just so we remind ourselves, Paul was in prison because of this previous bold proclamation. He had taught that Jesus had risen from the dead and that Jesus had sent him to go give this message to the Gentiles. All he had to do was say, no, 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 I'll limit my message to the Jews. And he would have been out of jail. In other words, as we allude to in sort of this third point, Paul's great temptation would have simply been to hedge the truth. Freedom of the tongue meant, for Paul, imprisonment of the body. Paul was asking, let this sink in, Paul was asking for the very thing that would keep him in jail. All he had to do was hedge the truth a little bit 
back off of his courageous stand, and he would have been a free man. And he could have used words and concepts that Christians would have smiled at. And he would have been out. But he's asking for the very thing that would keep him imprisoned. That would keep him, frankly, where God wanted him to be. And he was begging God's people to hold him up in this cause because he didn't trust his own flesh. Paul would write elsewhere, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Paul was very well aware of his own shortcomings and his own desire to be in better circumstances. And so he's asking the people of God to give him, pray for his strength and boldness and courage. Well, that brings us to our second point. What was Paul also asking for? Paul is asking for facility. He says right here, he says, and also for me that words may be given me in opening my mouth may be given me, words may be given me in opening my mouth. The word opening is a rare word. This is the only time it's used in the New Testament. In fact, it's the only time it's used in either the Greek New Testament or the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And it's very rarely used in ancient language. We're not totally sure what he meant by opening. But what we do know is this. Paul Paul wanted a supernatural ability to convey his message. And I think he had Exodus chapter 4 in mind when he was saying this. Do you guys remember you guys remember Moses? God said, I want you to go talk to Pharaoh. I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go, to go worship me in the wilderness. Now, now Moses was a, a man full of excuses why he shouldn't be the one to go. Does anybody remember what Moses' chief excuse was? What his chief reason was? Oh, God, you can't send me. And he has a few of them. They're not going to listen to me. Pharaoh won't listen to the people. But the one that he thought, the one that he thought would get God was, I'm a man who's slow of speech. Now, many people thought, think that maybe Moses had a speech impediment or a lisp, or he was just so painfully shy he couldn't possibly speak in front of others. And Moses is, in a sense, laying this back in God's lap He says, God, you can't send me because you made my tongue this way. You're asking me to do something you've made me incapable of doing. And God says, I know I made you that way, and I made you that way on purpose, and I still want you to go. And Moses finally just threw up his hand and said, I'm not going. And God said, fine, I'll send you Aaron, and he will be your spokesperson. God made... um, room for him, but Aaron became a thorn in Moses' flesh. I think Paul has in mind this idea, loosen my tongue, loosen my tongue, put words in my mouth. And just so we know, the reason I sort of set this up this way, do you guys realize that Paul was almost certainly not a gifted speaker naturally. 
Paul was not a gifted speaker. He was not the sort of man that would command a public presence in and of his own strength. Let me give you some biblical evidence for that. 2 Corinthians 5.20, you might want to write this down. This is a criticism of the Apostle Paul that the Apostle Paul by no means tries to correct. He doesn't say you're wrong on this point. They say in... uh, I'm sorry, I I read the wrong verse. 2 Corinthians 10.10. They say that Paul's letters are strong, but his words and his countenance are of no account. The Corinthian people wanted a different pastor other than Paul. And who did they choose? They chose the dynamic speaker Apollos. They chose the equally dynamic speaker, Peter. And some said Paul, some said Christ, but Paul was not the naturally eloquent, gifted speaker that these other two men were. Furthermore, do you remember when Paul went off on his first missionary journey? They sent him with Barnabas, and the understanding was that Barnabas was supposed to be sort of the lead speaker. And that's how it began. Barnabas began as the head teacher. But by and by, it became apparent that God was using this less than gifted speaker in a profound way. And so the the Apostle Paul concludes, when I am weak, well, that's when I know that I'm strong. For God is working through me. We have this treasure and jars of clay so that God would get the glory, not man. He told the Corinthians, I decided to know nothing among you but Christ and him crucified. Paul was always very aware of his limitations as a speaker. And so here he is saying in a very transparent kind of way, I need words. I need abilities beyond my own. I need God to open the ears of my hearers and hearts of my audience. I'm not the kind of man that's going to naturally command a room. I'm tempted in every way to hedge on my message. My presence is not going to wow anybody. So what I really need are words straight from the mouth of God. Would you pray that I would have those as I defend the gospel? He would later tell the Thessalonian church, when I spoke to you, you didn't receive it as the words it meant, but you received it as it really was. The word of the living God. And that's what Paul is asking the people to pray for. That his words would land with divine force. Paul's purpose was to make known the mystery of the gospel. He wanted facility to teach his Commission was equal parts education and proclamation. 
Paul was both a preacher and a teacher. In fact, I don't think he distinguished between the two. He wanted his people to, he wanted the people who were listening to him to understand the intellectual parts of the gospel, and he wanted to challenge them to it. And so Paul is saying, please keep in mind my purpose. Uh, th- this word to make known, it's the, it, it's the Greek word to uh, give knowledge. It's genoridzo, uh, to, to impart knowledge, to impart understanding. My, my, my commission is to impart this gospel to people and boldly proclaim them and encourage them to accept it as their own. I want you to pray that I would have that mission down. Third, the third thing that Paul is asking for here is resolve. Resolve. That's our third point. Paul has a commission. He says right here, he says, I'm an ambassador, verse 20, I'm an ambassador in chains. I'm an ambassador in chains. So you know, you might want to underline this in your Bible, the words, I am an ambassador. I am an ambassador. Four English words is one Greek word, and it's a verb. I'm doing the work of an ambassador right now. It's present. Right now, I'm an ambassador. Now, what was an ambassador? A Greek or a Roman, rather, a Roman ambassador was a a person who was uh, an officially recognized servant of the king. He had a job to convey a message. Now, the ambassador's job was not to create his own message. The ambassador's job was not to create an outcome. The ambassador's job was to accurately communicate the interests of his sovereign to another sovereign. My job is to convey a message from my king. Now, this is really important when we consider this call. Who does an ambassador answer to? His host nation or his sending king? Who does the ambassador answer to? The host nation or the sending king? The sending king. What happens if the host nation mistreats him? Does that change his job? What happens if the host nation ignores him? Does that change his job? No, no, no. The ambassador is judged, his effectiveness is judged not by how people receive it, not by how he's treated by the hosts who entertain him. He has to go back and give account to the king that commissioned him, to the king that sent him in the first place, and the thing the king wants to know is, did you accurately convey this message on my behalf? And so, to alter that message for the sake of a pleasant reception, was to fail in one's duties as an ambassador. Paul had a job to convey this message to these people, and he was always well aware that he didn't answer to the people he was talking to. He answered to God. Let's pull back out of this just for one moment and 
let this sink in just for a moment, okay? Whenever, whenever a person, a man, stands up and opens this book and teaches us from it, he is, or she is, if you're in a ladies' Bible study, she is doing the work of an ambassador. Now, when those words come across to you, are those sometimes words of peace and grace and mercy? Are they? Well, yeah, of course. But what happens when those words run across what you want? Or maybe even you realize that God is not approving of something that is deeply meaningful to you. That God is calling your behavior into question. God is confronting you, as it were. The great temptation is always, as we would say in America, to shoot the messenger. But we forget about the king who sent it. Now, if you're in the place of being the messenger, you always have to keep on the front of your mind that you don't answer to the person you've been sent to. You answer to the one who sent you. And your job is to accurately convey the message that he gives with a demeanor that matches the message. For that is the gospel's way. This is why Paul tells Timothy that he is to, with all patience and long-suffering, with love and mercy and grace, to convey God's message of love and mercy and grace and long-suffering and patience. The message of Patience and grace doesn't come off very well when it's screamed at you, does it? Will you accept this forgiveness? <laughs> ah. <laughs> no, no. Paul was very, very well aware of this commission that he had as an ambassador to convey God's message the way that God would want it to be conveyed. And so here he is, He's landed in jail because he's been doing his job. He's praying that he would have the courage to continue doing his job, which also happened to be the very thing that would keep him in jail. He wants facility. He wants, he wants words that will land home. And here's the final piece of our puzzle. I want you to look before we put this slide up. I want you to look at this final phrase. Okay, for which I'm ambassador in change, that, that I did, may declare it boldly. And do we see that phrase right there? As I ought to speak. As I ought to speak. Now, when we read that in English, it comes across as sort of an add-on tacked on to the end. Just, and and I, I imagine that as we've read that through the years, our eyes sort of simply skip right over it, don't they? I want you to know that Paul here, for him, this is not an add-on. 
he actually uses a very strong Greek construction that to an original listener or to an original reader would have jumped off the page. This is the idea of divine necessity. This is the same divine necessity, for example, when Jesus sees Zacchaeus up in a tree. He says, Zacchaeus, get down out of the tree. I have a divine appointment with you today. I'm eating at your house. Okay? And then Zacchaeus stands up and says, it is divine necessity that I repent of the sin that I've been engaged in, and I'm going to manifest that. And Jesus says, today, salvation has come to this house. If you want to make this as strongly as he says it, he says, I'm an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as it is divinely necessary to speak in that way. God is by necessity commanding me to preach this message. I've got this message building up inside of me and it's about to come out to anybody who will listen. It's urgency and necessity. God is commanding me to do this and I know I need it and I pray that you would help me to come under God's will and preach this God's way and do it. Speak with the courage and boldness and facility that God would want me to, that God is requiring of me. Do you hear, do you hear in what the Apostle Paul is saying, a tenderness and a transparency? He's a man who's under authority, and he's begging God's people to recognize that and uphold him as he does everything he can to fulfill this authority that God has invested in him and this authority that God is asking of him. There's a pleading sense, a begging sense that God's people would pray that he would rise to the lofty standard God has placed on him. He doesn't want to fail. He doesn't want to fail his Lord. And he's asking that people would join him in praying for this ministry. So let's make three applications of what Paul's been expressing here. Number one, for the people called to frequent public proclamation of the gospel, we need, we need this same request made for us, and we need it frequently. I'm putting myself in this. I'm a person who's been called to make frequent public proclamation of the gospel. Sometimes I do it behind this pulpit. Sometimes I do it in an office setting. Sometimes I do it with friends over coffee or lunch. Sometimes I do it in other churches or in schools. But hardly, so you know, and I'm sure Pastor Dom and Pastor Chris would agree, Hardly a sermon comes, hardly a counseling opportunity arrives without the temptation to nudge back from the line just a little bit to insulate myself from potential reactions that the audience might have. And we, of course, don't want to go around unnecessarily kicking hornets' nests. 
We don't want to beat people over the head. We don't want to be obnoxious or angry by no means. But there's a commission that God places on every preacher. And I can tell you, I can tell you, I've been pastoring now in some capacity for 15 years. And I can tell you that hardly a sermon goes by without knowing some situation that I want to back up from. But I can't do the passage justice. I can't live up to my calling and back off from it. I have a pastor friend, he's in California, very progressive area of an already progressive state. He had arrived at a passage of scripture that would be incredibly controversial in that area. In fact, it is incredibly controversial in that area. All week long, he knew how hard this was going to be for his people to hear. And just before the sermon, the one person in the church he was worried most about happened to be a lady. Came up to him and said, Pastor, I know what you're preaching on this morning. My friend said, so you read ahead. <laughs> and she said, yes. She said, now you listen to me. You tell us what God says. Nothing more, nothing less. And with great courage, he got up in the pulpit and preached that day. That has to be our attitude, and we have to pray that our ministers would have that same attitude. And we need to encourage our ministers that their message will land on receptive ears. Number two, every believer bears Paul's commission to be an ambassador. You're ambassadors. If you are in Christ Jesus, if you've asked the Lord Jesus to save you from your sins, you're an ambassador. You've been sent. You have an official message. God has called you. You are on duty all the time. God wants you to say words. He wants you to speak for him to what is a hostile nation. Not necessarily our nation, but what I mean is the world of sinners is a hostile nation opposed to God. And you've been sent as an ambassador to speak God's message into that hostility. And you too need boldness. You too need great courage and wisdom and facility to teach this mystery of the gospel as it ought to be taught. God's commissioned every one of us to do that. Some of us more regularly than others, but we all bear that commission. And I would challenge you to do a little inventory. When's the last time you made a deliberate effort to get the gospel to somebody? Now, maybe you got to give it, maybe you didn't. You can't always control how that goes, right? But when's the last time you made a conscious effort at it? And if it's been a while, call it what it is. Say, God, I, I have come up short in my duties as your ambassador. By your grace, help me to dispense my calling and commission as you would have it. 
and start looking for those deliberate opportunities. They're not going to come unless you make them happen. You have to be deliberate and on purpose that that's your calling. Number three, the manner in which people receive our message is not our concern. It's not our concern. We must remain faithful to our sovereign and to his commission. Guys, I think, I think Christians kind of operate under this delusion that if you can say the words just right, with just the right inflection, with just the right tone, with just the right amount of friendliness, with just the right smile on your face and kindness shown, people will accept you and your message. I think we sort of operate under that idea. And if we could just somehow engineer our words perfectly, the message would land. Friends, was there any flaw in the delivery of Jesus? Wasn't he always perfectly gracious and kind? Didn't he usually back up his words by healing somebody's sick grandmother or raising someone from the dead or healing a person's son who was born blind? Weren't his messages always chalked to the brim with illustrations and picturesque language that anybody could understand from the youngest to the oldest? Wasn't he the perfect speaker? What did they do to him? They hung him on a cross and killed him. So don't think that the servant is greater than his master. Let us not operate under the delusion that if we just said something a certain way or a certain w- with a certain smile that it would be received. No, no, the gospel in itself, even when delivered perfectly, is offensive. Paul says, I watered, I planted, Apollos watered, but it's God who gives the increase. May we therefore then be found faithful as teachers and ambassadors of the message that Christ died for our sins. And that if we place our faith and trust in him, this is the mystery of the gospel. If we place our faith and trust in his saving work of death, burial, and resurrection, you and be right with God and an heir of his glory. What a gracious, glorious message that is also offensive to a lost and dying world. So we need courage, don't we? And we need boldness. And we need to realize what our commission is and go and speak it with clarity and grace. Let's pray. Father, would you give us supernatural power for the calling that you've placed on us? Would you help us to be bold in our proclamations? 
Lord, right now we pray for ministers the world over who either are right now delivering their message or will be in a short time. Give them boldness and courage to speak the mystery of the gospel as it ought to be spoken. And I pray that Fellowship Bible Church would be faithful not only in our duties as ambassadors, but also in our prayers for other proclaimers of truth. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.